Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. We are uh, starting a brand new series today called The Table. So welcome to The Table. And uh, I'm a child of the boomer generation, so I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And I learned all my table manners, like what to do, what not to do. We laughed. My sister cried. We had a lot of fun at that table, maybe some arguments. It was a good time. As you start to get older, uh, you get invited outside your own family's table, right? And uh, so that's kind of fun. And I remember when I was dating Lori and uh, getting serious about her in between the, the, the semesters, the summer semester, I said, I should go meet her family, right? And so I went to Chicago to meet her family and her her mom invited me over for dinner, and you're a little nervous, you know, when you're sitting there for that first time, would you admit? You're just a little bit nervous, like meeting the parents, right? It's kind of a nervous thing, so I'm over there, and my mother-in-law, by the way, she's like this gourmet cook, like, I mean, anything she makes is phenomenal, and so I'm about 30, maybe 35 pounds lighter than I am today, uh, and at our table growing up, uh, when I complained to my dad about not getting seconds, he said, you're not fast enough. So I learned to eat really quick, and I could eat a lot in those days. And so I remember I'm sitting down at this table. We're all sitting around it, and we're having this meal, and it's a phenomenal meal, and I'm just really enjoying it. And then Lori's younger sister spills a glass of water, milk, whatever it was. I don't remember, but all I remember was like everybody scrambling, you know, all around the table to contain this flood of liquid that's all over. And... I guess I wasn't thinking. I was really into the food. So I literally, I kid you not, this was me. They're all scrambling around me without missing a beat. I just stayed in rhythm. I just kept eating. I had my plate going like this. I just kept eating from that plate. And my mother-in-law, she just, I, you know, I didn't know what she was going to do, but she just started laughing. And she laughed. And, you know, cooks love it. When, they like it when, when you love their food. And so I was always welcome at that table. And it was a good experience. And I've been to a lot of tables where I felt welcome. Have you ever been to a table where you haven't felt maybe that welcome? A little bit like they're maybe tolerating you. We just want you to know if you're here today, regardless of who you are, your background, what you believe, what you don't believe, you are welcome at this table. We're so glad that you're here and you're the reason we exist as a church. And here's the main thought I really want to get across to you today. And it's simply this. We're here because of who invited us not because of who we are. We're all here because somehow Jesus invited us to be here today. And it was never based on our performance. It was never based on how good we could be. It's always based on how good He is and what He's done for us. And so... One of the things that I just want you to know is that you're very, very welcome here today. Now, in the Bible, one of the things that we know is that table can have uh, the connotation of being a spiritual metaphor. For instance, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. But verse 5 says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, he's not talking about a physical table, but a spiritual table. And so at this table of the Lord... There is an amazing abundance of life for us. Now, one of the things that I figured out at tables a long time ago was that um, 
you have conversations there. You interact. And I would say this, that some of the most significant moments in my life have happened around tables. Uh, but none more significant than the conversations that have happened around the table of the Lord. That's an amazing table. And, you know, it's just inferred that if I said, hey, man, let's do lunch. How many know we're not talking about going out, sitting down in silence and eating and then shaking hands and saying goodbye? If I say let's do lunch, what am I inferring? I'm saying, hey, let's hang out. Let's fellowship. Let's get to know one another. And that's exactly what the table of the Lord is about. And one of the things that we see at this table is we see the bread of life. And Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread that gives life. And I want to pause there for a second. Jesus was saying, I'm different than this type of bread right here. You know, this can sustain you physically. But I'm the bread that gives life. And that word life there is eternal life. Life that only God alone can give. And every single one of us are spiritually dead because of Adam's sin. And so we need this life. And he goes on to say, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who has faith in me will ever be thirsty. And because when it says that gives life, that is in, in its uh, Greek language, that's the continuous sense. I will continually fill you with new life. I will continually quench that thirst and that hunger on the inside of you. How many of you know you can chase a lot of things trying to fill that void in your heart? You can chase sex, drugs, addictions, success, achievements, accomplishments, relations. You can chase a lot of things in this life. But only one thing can truly satisfy that hunger that's on the inside of you and that thirst that's on the inside of you. And that is the bread of life, and that's Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that we see is that when Jesus walked the earth, that there were some people that had a very, very different perspective than Jesus. Now, I would say this, true for everyone in here, I've been very impacted by invitations I have received, but also by ones I haven't received. Can you relate to that? Have you ever had somebody walk up to you and say, hey, are you going to that party? And you're like, what party? And I remember one such occasion where a really good friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, still a good friend to this day, uh, it was like his 40th birthday party and his wife had this big thing planned out and invited his really close friends and we got to go drive Formula One cars. It's the only time I've been able to do 150 miles an hour without my wife screaming at me and it was just a blast. It was fun. And uh, so we're there. But you know what stood out to me was there was one person that wasn't invited. And I felt for them because I knew that that had to hurt and it did. But listen, Jesus has always been inclusive, not exclusive. And he's always had a heart for the outsiders. And one of the things that Jesus runs into on a constant basis, his greatest enemies come from the church of his day, the religious experts. And their view is that you shouldn't have anything to do with ungodly people if you're godly. They want it to be exclusive about this table, but Jesus was just the opposite of that. And listen, today as we sit here, 
your view of who God is shapes your perspective on who's welcome or who's not welcome to this table. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they fought against Jesus in this way, and they were convinced that they knew the heart of God. They were convinced that they knew the will of God, that they knew and understand the law of God or understood the law of God. Here's the thing, though. John 1.18 says, and this is my paraphrase, Jesus made the invisible God visible when He became flesh. He said, if you have seen Me, you've seen the Father. And when they looked at Him, they said, you're nothing like the God we worship. So they really didn't know Him. And they struggled with this concept that He would reach out to notorious sinners and people that they wanted nothing to do with. And we get to see a little bit of their mindset because Jesus teaches a story about that. And I want to go to Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and it says, Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but tax collectors in the Gospels had their own category. They were not considered good enough to be called just sinners. They were so despised, they didn't even fit that category. They were called tax collectors which I won't go into, but they were really despised. And so Jesus takes the most despised person that they can think of and says, here's two guys praying. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed. Now I want you to listen to his prayer here. Be very, very aware of the eyes in this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not greedy, dishonest, and unfaithful in marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like the tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week. He fasts. I give you one-tenth of all I earn. A lot of eyes in that prayer. The tax collector stood off at a distance, didn't even think he was good enough to look up towards heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and he prayed, God, have pity on me. I'm such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men, two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. A prayer life where I'm thinking he should be giving praise to God, he's actually giving praise to who? The unholy trinity. The unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. And what he had developed was something we call self-righteousness. In other words, God approves of me because of all that I do, my performance. I've got my act together, and God said, no, you don't. God doesn't approve. And the problem with self-righteousness is it causes you to actually think that you're better than someone else, that you've got it going on, and they don't. And people like that become harsh and mean and judgmental and critical. Now, I'd love to say everybody I've ever met that's a follower of Christ is not like that. But I've met some people, and I kid you not, they know the Bible better than most people, but they're some of the meanest, harshest, most critical and judgmental people I've ever met. You ever run into them? I call them the law dogs. The law dogs. And they like to bark at everything. Why? Because they're basing the fact that they're invited to this table on who they are, not on what Jesus has done. And the gospel has never been, ever been about what you can do. It's always been about what Jesus has already done. That is the good news. 
And so they have this attitude, and I really wish that this wasn't true, but I've run into many Christians, and I've even been to churches that are kind of like the Pharisees. Pastor Craig Rochelle tells this story. When he was in Bible school, they used to itinerate in these small country churches. And so he was out there in this country church. Pastor wasn't there that day. And the secretary walks up and says, we got a visitor coming today. And he goes, I got the impression they didn't get a lot of those. So he says, I'm standing out on the front steps, and let's just call him Deacon Bob or Head Usher Bob. Let's just give him a name. He's standing out there at the front steps of the church, and all of a sudden he said, here's that visitor. Car pulls up, out walks this lady, and he goes, you could tell life's been rough on this lady. She's had a hard life. She walks up the steps of that church, and Deacon Bob says, we dress our best for God around here on Sundays. Is that the best you can do? I wish it was a made-up story, but it's not. She didn't say a word. She just looked at good old Deacon Bob, who was representing the Lord Jesus Christ, who she'd come to see. Didn't say a word, turned around, walked right back, got in her car, and drove away. Now, before we get too judgmental about Deacon Bob, I got a confession to make. I got radically saved when I was 19 years old. I had a lot of zeal. I wasn't always effective, but man, I wanted to tell anybody that was alive that Jesus, what Jesus had done for me, you know? And I certainly tried to do that. And I carried that on for years. And, and even, you know, going down to, when I went to Bible school, downtown Tulsa, our church would go there and I'd drag glory along. We'd witness. As a matter of fact, I tried to lead Pastor Joe to the Lord on the, in the red light district of Tulsa. Did you know that? Yeah, he was walking with a leather jacket and he looked kind of tough. I said, this guy needs Jesus, man. So I started to preach to him, and he goes, oh, man, I go to Grace Church. And I'm like, ah, my discernment wasn't all that great back then, okay? So anyways, so <laughs> I'm doing this, and I'm real zealous, but, but something kind of happened to me in Bible school, and I didn't even know it was happening. Um, I spent a lot of time around people who thought like me, dressed like me, talked like me, acted like me, even kind of looked like me. And after a while, without realizing it, I kind of forgot who I used to be and where I came from and why I was invited here to begin with. I kind of forgot that. And I started to develop an attitude that said, I can be nice to you, but I don't want to hang out with anyone who isn't just like me. I mean, you know, that's not the heart of God. I had a little bit of Pharisee kind of developing in my life. Well, it came to a head one day. I'd graduated Bible school, got married that summer, moved back to Southern California. There was a church that my older brother was planting. It was about seven months old. And uh, I served as the youth pastor, my wife the children's pastor, but they were unpaid positions. And so we were working jobs. And I was working for this company that was like growing rapidly. I got, just got promoted. They were buying up competition. And I found out why. The FBI caught our CEO and founder in a money laundering scheme, you know? And uh, you, you have a lot of money when you do that. So here was his sentence. He would work Monday through Friday at the office, and when he wasn't at the office, he'd go check in at LA County Jail, and he'd be there on weekends. Here was the other part of the deal. You gotta hire a bunch of ex-cons. So they told us that. 
They're like, you got to hire ex-cons. And they said, guys, you're going to be working with them, but we can't tell you who they are. Anybody ever see Prison Mike, you know, in the office? Yeah. And one of those deals, right? Who's the ex-con, you know? And uh, so sure enough, the first guy they hired, they hand him off to me. Now, like they can't tell you he's an ex-con, but when a guy looks and talks like he's from the cast of The Sopranos, you pretty much know. Yeah, it, yeah it's you. It's you. So <laughs> I'm training him, which means he's going to shadow me all day long, right? And I go home that night and I'm praying. And my prayer was more like a complaint prayer. And my complaint prayer went something like this. God, I'm really irritated that I got to hang out with this ex-con this week. Because you realize I could have been praying and I could have been listening to my cassette sermons on those cassette tapes, you know. And, and I could have been worshiping you. I could have been really doing things that were really important for the kingdom of God. But instead you stuck me with this guy. And I'm really upset, but and God actually interrupted me in my prayer. And he asked me a question. Now, how many of you know when God asks you a question, it is not because he doesn't know the answer. And he said this to me, right in my spirit. He said, how did I treat you when you were a sinner? And I said, well, Lord, I went to Bible school. I know the answer to that question. Romans 5, 8. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in the middle of our mess. He died for us. That's good. Now, all of a sudden, that was like, oh, hold on a second. How did you treat me? Let me think about that. Let's see. I was a kid who was raised in church. Um... My dad was the worship leader and a member of the board. My mom was, uh, led worship for Sunday school before they split into classes and taught Sunday school. We were there three times a week. I always tell people I had a drug problem because my parents drugged me to church. And, uh, you know, and I, I did that till I was 15. And in that church, I would feel, uh, they, they talk about Jesus, and I'd feel the power of the Holy Spirit drawing me to fill that void in my life. But I would always say no. And I had a reason for saying no, and that was in this church. They put some of the traditions of men, you know, kind of wrapped the traditions of men up in their denomination. Now, there was a lot of Jesus, but there was a lot of traditions. I'll give you one of them. My older sister. Mom, Dad, my friends are going to see Mary Poppins. I'd love to go see Mary Poppins. Honey, Mary Poppins is of the devil. It's a sin. You can't go to the movies, guys. Dad, can I go see Herbie the Lubbock? No, we don't go to the movies. That's a sin. Jesus doesn't approve of that. Really? Really? That's just one example. Like, that's called the traditions of men being exalted above the Word of God. That is not in the Bible. Just like, just like Deacon Bob, hey, wearing your suit is not in the Bible, okay? I'm not against you if you're wearing a suit. I wore them for years. I'm just saying, to, for him to think that I have the right to exclude somebody based on their dress code is wrong. And I somehow associated following Jesus with keeping a bunch of rules. And I had a little bit of rebel in me, maybe even a lot of rebel in me. And I said, I'm not going to do that. So, I mean, there's times that I would feel so drawn to Jesus that I'd literally hold on to that pew in those days and say, uh-uh, uh-uh. And I quit going to church at 15. I was done with God. And I, I, I believed in Him, I respected Him, but I wanted nothing to do with Him until my deathbed. And then I was like, hey, can I come to heaven now? Like, can I just like do what the thief on the cross did and get in, you know? That was my plan. But my parents, who had prayed for me my whole life, started praying a little differently. 
they began to find out that there were promises that you could pray over your family that God would honor. So they began to pray them quite aggressively. Now, I'm going to just say something. If you're praying for somebody that does not know the Lord, family members, etc., just know this. It is impossible for you to pray and not have something happen. I'm going to say that again. It is impossible for you to pray and not have something happen. And something happened to me that I wasn't looking for, wasn't seeking after, didn't want. I was at a drive-in theater back when they had those. Well, we still have one here in Warren. Uh, they don't have them out there anymore. Um, I was at a drive-in theater, and me and my friends were getting high. Nothing I'm proud of, but we were getting high. I'm just being real with you. Just pardon I don't even remember what the movie was. We're getting high, and right in the middle of that party, God showed up. Yeah. God had never showed up before in my life, but God showed up, and I heard a voice. I did. I still remember every word that I heard to this day. I was 18, and that voice said something to me. I believe as a result of my parents' prayers. And the voice said, you thought you had to be perfect before you came to me, before you came to this table. You thought you had to be perfect before you came to me. And then, then it said this, but if you come to me, then you will change. What had happened was I had the cart before the horse. I said, I don't have the right to show back up in that church anymore because I'm such a sinner. I, when I get my act together someday, when I get it all together someday, then I'll show up in church. Listen, you're never going to have the ability to get your act together. If you did, then Jesus died in vain. You don't need him. I couldn't get my act together. I wasn't capable of the kind of change I, I needed to have. And so God kind of kicked that stumbling block out of the way, and that started a one-year wrestling match, which he won. And I took hold of that bread of life, and my life was never the same. It's never been the same. And so I started remembering all that. I started remembering this. How did I treat you when you were in your sin? God, you went down to the party. You walked into the bar, the strip club. I didn't do strip clubs, I'm just saying. But you... <laughs> Lori, I've never done a strip club in my life. Just want you to know that. If you have, there's no condemnation. You walked right down in the middle of the party. And you pursued me with your great mercy, with your great goodness, with your outstanding, unconditional love. You chased me down. You hunted me down. That's how you treated me. And I didn't earn it. And I didn't deserve it. And I still don't deserve it. But you did it. You accepted me. That's the simple term for righteousness. You gave me acceptance before I ever took hold of that acceptance. And then God said, now that we got that straightened up, I want you to do for Him what I did for you. I want you not to judge Him. 1 Corinthians 5.12, the Bible says that Christians are not supposed to judge the world it is not our job jesus didn't come to condemn but to redeem he said i don't want you to judge him i want you to love him right where he's at i want you to extend acceptance to him as a gift and if he never changes it doesn't matter and i gotta tell you man when i went back to work the next day 
the guy from The Sopranos and I, we had the best week ever. We had such a great time. This guy was 20 years older than me, and I learned so much from him. I mean, we learned how to rob banks together. We learned all kinds of things. No. We didn't do that, but I really did learn from him. I was, like, amazed. And that, you know, how many of you know you can have an outward posture being nice, but there's also that inward posture. That has been my inward posture towards every person I meet. I don't care who you are, what your background is, what you have or haven't done good bad ugly my inward posture has always been the moment i meet you i'm going to give you the gift of acceptance i'm going to love you right where you are and you don't have to do anything to earn it it's just i just want to be an extension of jesus christ because the law came through moses but grace and truth came through jesus christ and i want to be an extension of grace and truth i want to be some salt and light but salt as long as it sits in a shaker doesn't have any impact Right? we got to get out there among the people. Jesus was accused of being the friend of sinners. Do you ever think about that? That guy is a friend of sinners. That wasn't a compliment. Listen, I will wear that as a badge of honor. If people accuse me of being a friend of sinners, I will wear that as a badge of honor. It doesn't mean I have to adopt their lifestyle. It means I can be an extension of Jesus' grace and love and truth right where they are. Let me uh, just kind of bring this, uh, this home. Let's try and land this plane here. In Luke chapter 19, we're going to go to a story here. If you grew up in a church, you're familiar with the name Zacchaeus. In fact, we used to sing a song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody ever hear that song? Anybody out there? Yeah. It was written by an Irishman, in case you didn't know that. I am Irish if you don't know that. It was written by an Irishman. How do I know that? Because the Irish call everything we. A wee cup of tea, a wee bite, you know, we this, we that. Matter of fact, we were in Ireland a number of years ago. There were 13 of us, and I'm kind of leading the pack, and I'm a little impatient. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little impatient. And I'm waiting for these lights, and I'm like, there's nobody around. And I just lead the pack. We just kept crossing lights. And this little Irishman sees me doing this. He figures, i got to help this American out. This little tiny guy comes up to me. He points up at the light, and he goes, wait for the wee green man, the wee green man. And I was like, yeah, thank you, sir. I'm going to jaywalk anyways. All right, so let's read about this wee little man. Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, every tree was there for me to climb. I loved climbing trees. Loved hanging upside down, you know, and all that stuff. It was fun. But how many know when you grow up, you kind of stop doing that? Like, trees, to me, they're either beautiful or they should be cut down. One of the two. Like, there's no in between. But Zacchaeus was short, and so even as an adult, he realized, if I'm going to see things, I've got to climb up. So it says that he climbed up not just into any tree, but a sycamore tree. Now, think about this. Is it possible that the God who created heaven and earth and everything we see, is it possible that he put that sycamore tree right where it was so that on that specific day that when Jesus walked down, that man could climb that tree and see Jesus? Is it possible? 
Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. There's that attitude again. I'm better than you. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, you want his vision, his mission statement? Here it is right here. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus values outsiders, not just insiders. That's all of us. And a number of years ago, the Disney Corporation began to do exit surveys at their theme parks. And they became quite disturbed at what they were hearing. Because people who'd saved up a boatload of money to fly there, rent cars, hotels, pay for those expensive tickets to get in the park, all the food, they were literally leaving that experience disappointed. Now, this may sound crazy, but do you know why they were leaving disappointed? They said they had came and went, and there was one person that they never saw the whole time they were there. Can anyone guess who that one person was? It was Mickey Mouse. As Walt Disney said, the guy who started it all. And they were disappointed. So they got together and they said, how can we fix this? And ladies, this had to be guys coming up with this idea. They said, we, we, could, put a, we could put a Mickey Mouse in every you know, uh, location, like Frontierland or whatever. We could have them all over. But you ladies, come on, you know that your three and four-year-olds are way too smart for that. Come on. So they said, hey, let, let's do this. Here's, here's a, maybe an idea that could work. What if at the end of every night we had a huge parade full of dancers and all the characters from our movies and, and we marched them down Main Street and, hey, what if we made the grand marshal of that parade Mickey Mouse? And you know what? It worked. And they still do that to, the day, to this day. You'll see them come down and who's the last guy there? It's Mickey Mouse. So that everyone who comes to Disneyland or Disney World or whatever, they get to see Mickey. Can I just tell you something? In the weeks ahead, right here for Christmas at BC, in the months ahead, April 2017 for BC Boardman, September 2017 for our traditional campus, in the months ahead, all kinds of people are going to be climbing up into the branches of Believer's Church. And let me tell you, they're not coming to see us. Let me tell you who they're coming to see. They're coming to see Jesus. And our job, church, is to make sure that's exactly who they see, that we let them see the real Jesus with His heart and His great love for them. That's our job, to be an extension of grace and truth. So if you're like me and you kind of forgot where you came from, maybe it'd be a good time to remember that no matter how much you prayed or didn't pray this week, no matter how much you read the Bible or didn't read this week or whatever you did for God or didn't do, the reason God loves you today has nothing to do with that. He loves you, period. Your righteousness or acceptance before God was never, ever based 
on what you could do or have done, and it's the same today. God doesn't accept you because of what you're doing, but because of the sacrifice of His Son. So let's go ahead and pray today. Father, maybe there's some people here like me who've kind of forgotten you know, where, where they came from, and maybe we've developed sometimes attitudes with people that uh, maybe don't have the same political views or Maybe they have different ideas about all kinds of different issues in life. Lord, it is not our job to judge them. I just pray, Father God, would you just renew, as Andre Crouch said in that old song, take me back, Lord, to the place where I first believed, to the place where I first believed that we would come back to our first love and realize that it's all because of the grace of Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. Nothing we could add to that. Nothing we could, we can't earn that paycheck. It's all about you. Let us just realize that even today, even though we may have known you for a long time, that it's still all about because what you did. That's why we're loved. That's why we're accepted today. There is no condemnation because you took it on the cross. And maybe you're here today and you're visiting. Friend brought you, neighbor brought you, whatever. And you're saying, you know what? I can kind of relate to your story that Something in you, you said something in you knew that you needed what was being offered, but you fought against it. But there came a point where you stopped fighting and you said, I want that. And, and that wasn't a bad thing. That was a very good thing. It changed your life. And you know what? I, I, think, I think I can relate to you. I think maybe I'm here today. Like I think today I'm actually maybe ready to say yes to following Jesus. Maybe not all the traditions that people think I should, but I, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to receive the gift of eternal life and receive from the bread of life. I'm ready for that today. And, and you know what? I want to do that today. And if that's you today, I want you to do one thing with me here in a second. And that's just pray a prayer. And I just want you to be very aware that as you pray this prayer, no matter how you feel, I want you to know something. God is listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth and his eyes are on your heart. He knows you and he loves you. And if today you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, then I would ask you to pray with me. Church, would you help me? Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I know I've been living without you. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you that because of your death, my sins have been forgiven. I give you my guilt and my shame. Today, I accept you as my Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead and you're alive today. Come into my life now and help me to live the rest of my life with you and for you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.